0: Standing over here since everyone's looking at the screen. How's everybody? Cold and wet? Right now. Praising God for rain. Alright, we're going to dive in to the confession again. Um, I thought uh, starting out this evening it'd be good to just do a quick uh, review, reminder of why the why we're doing this? Why it's important that we that we have a confession? Why it's important that we study the confession? Um, so, I guess before we go to the next slide, anyone have any uh, any input on that? Any thoughts? And why is it important? Why is it important to have a confession of faith? We talked about it a little bit. I think the first week we started. No volunteers? To know what you believe and why? To know what you believe and why? Very good. Uh, why don't you go ahead and go to the first slide. So this actually uh, is a summary that I believe er, er, came from Bordy Bauckham originally uh, that I'm going to use as a reference uh, but here's just a few, a quick short list of some of the reasons why a confession is important. First of all, that they, it unites believers. So uh, you've heard the, you may have heard someone say, no creed but Christ, or if it's in the scriptures, I believe it. Um, but really, that is usually just an excuse not to know what you believe uh, and doesn't separate you from other walks of faith. And that's the second one, it distinguishes, distinguishes believers. Uh, from other, from other faiths and beliefs, the the third is uh, confessions have their origin in the New Testament. I'll just read one of those passages there. Uh, I'm going to try to get through a lot of material tonight, so we'll go quick. But the sec, uh, the first one there, Second Timothy one, thirteen to fourteen. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me, in faith. And love, which are in Christ Jesus, that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit, who dwells in who dwells in us, so that passage, and then those other passages they're talking about keeping to a pattern of sound words, so in Paul encouraging uh, the believers to have a, a system a systematic theology, essentially, a pattern of sound words, and then Fourthly, they're an essential disciple-making tool. And uh, this, I think, is critical and uh, sort of hits on what you were saying, Paul, on apologetics. What is apologetics? Who can define that for me? It's essentially what Paul said. Knowing what you believe... And I think this is a definition from Bodhi as well, knowing what you believe, why you believe it, and being able to communicate that to others effectively. So do you think we all should be able to do that as believers? It's all of us. Can I get a volunteer to look up and read that passage, Jude, verses 1 to 3? Micah? Sure. saw you grab my Bible. Yep.
1: Drew, divine servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, those who are called, sanctified by God, the Father, preserved in Christ Jesus, mercy, peace, and love, and love to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to defend earnestly for the faith, which was once for
0: all who were saints. All right. So who is Jude writing to? What does it say in verse, verse 1 there, Micah? So that's who he is, but who is he writing to? What does it say right after that? Right. So does that sound like all believers? Those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. So he's writing to all believers, and what is he writing for? It says in verse 3, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. So the, the confession is a tool that equips us to contend for the faith. It's a disciple-making tool. It teaches us the ways of Christ. And essentially, it's a, it, it's a mini-systematic theology. It breaks down Scripture into topics, and give succinct statements about each topic. So we'll do a quick review then, jumping into the the confession. So chapter 1 was about the scriptures. So we start with the scriptures as our foundation, as a source of truth, our source of truth, God's word that we have preserved, and... Chapter 1 covered the scripture's necessity, identity, authority, sufficiency, clarity, availability, and finality. Chapter 2, we started last week, so we're actually breaking it down a little further. Paragraph 1, Mr. Powers started last week and covered this first section. The Lord our God is but one living and true God whose subsistence is in and of himself infinite in being and perfection, whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself. So that's our focus of chapter 2, God and the Holy Trinity. I put a quote on there from, you probably recognize this from the Behold Your God series. If you wish to do real and lasting good to your own soul and to your family, friends, or church, it is essential to begin with who God is. So that's where we are tonight. Studying who God is. So we're on the second section of paragraph one of chapter two, uh, breaking this first paragraph into several sections. So continuing from last week, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body parts or passions, who only has immortality dwelling in light which no man can approach unto. So what are some of the attributes of God that you see there? Pure? He's invisible? Invisible? <laughs> Very good. Actually, I have that question here. Um, immortal. So we're we're gonna break this down. Uh, I had on here um, the incommunicable attributes of God. Anyone know what that means? So, right. It's, uh, right, it's not shared by us or less shared by us, not transferred to us. So the, um, in theological study, they break down the attributes of God to communicable and incommunicable, meaning the incommunicable ones are ones that are less shared by us and the communicable ones are ones that are more shared by us. Uh, this section is pretty much dealing with incommunicable uh, the invisibility, the immortality, etc. So, So we're going to break this down, uh, this sentence here. So if you go to the next slide, the the first section is a most pure spirit. So speaking of God as a most pure spirit. Who wants to read that verse for us off the slide there? Eric? So here we have scripture telling us God is spirit. And our confession is stating a most pure spirit. As I was studying this, uh, the, the commentaries on it essentially said most was referring to the fact that God is spirit unlike any other created spirit. Essentially he's the only eternal spirit. So he's the most Pure spirit and pure meaning uh, that he is completely spirit. So he's not part spirit and part something else. Uh, there, there are more yeah, spirits besides God, but he is the most pure spirit. And uh, Matthew Henry said this, commenting on on that verse in John: "God is a spirit, for he is infinite and." For he is an infinite and eternal mind, an intelligent being, immaterial, invisible, and incorruptible. It is easier to say what God is not than what he is. If God were not a spirit, he could not be perfect, nor infinite, nor eternal, nor independent, nor the Father of spirits. So another uh, Thing to think about is God being spirit, we're told not to make any image of God. And the fact that He is spirit, He can't be seen. Uh, If we try to make any image of Him, it would obviously be wrong. All right, and that leads us to the next attribute of God invisible. So, here was the catechism question for any of the young children. Can you see God? No. No, but what? He always sees us. right? No, I cannot see God, but He always sees me. So God can't be seen with mortal eyes. Let's read those scriptures together. Daniel, you want to read the first one up there, John 1:18? Benjamin, you want to read the next one? Now, to the king, eternal, immortal, to God, God who alone is forever and ever. All right, Paul, you want to read the next one,
1: <clears throat> yes, the the God,
0: the all, all right, so this, again, just showing some scriptures to support the, uh, the confession. Obviously, we know God is invisible, There's some scriptures, no one has seen God at any time. He's the king eternal, immortal, invisible. And then speaking of Christ in Colossians, that he's the image of the invisible God. One interesting fact about uh, God's invisibility is that it uh, is tied to our faith. So there's lots of scripture passages that speak of the importance of the fact that we believe in a God that we cannot see. Uh, I'll read a few of those there. I didn't list them out on the slide. But now uh, Hebrews 11.1 one says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In Romans 8, 24 and 25, For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait for it eagerly. And then First Peter one eight, and though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not now see him, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible, and full of glory. So God is invisible, and as you study the attributes of God, you see that not one of his attributes contradicts with any of his other attributes. So the fact that we just read about God being spirit obviously aligns with uh, the fact that God is invisible. So the next section from the catechism is that he's without body, parts, or passions. So we just read that passage in John that God is Spirit, and then uh, another passage there in Luke twenty four thirty nine says, "Spirit does not have flesh and bones." So God is without body. We sort of talked about that already. He is without parts. And uh, reading some of the commentaries on this, this is also known as the simplicity of God. So I'll give a definition of that. This is from J.I. Packer. The fact that there is in him no elements that can conflict so that unlike man, he cannot be torn ways by different divergent thoughts and desires. God is not part love and part justice. He is fully love and fully just at the same time without conflict. And when we speak of the simplicity of God, we use a term to describe the state or quality of being simple, the condition of being free from division into parts. So that's without parts what the confession is saying there is, speaking of the simplicity of God, he can't be divided into parts. And then without passions, uh, which is also known as the impassibility of God, Another theological term, I'll give you the definition. Uh, the, The traditional theological view that God does not change and thus is not affected by actions that take place in the world. It's the divine attribute whereby God is said not to experience inner emotional changes in his state, whether enacted freely from within or affected by his relationship to and interaction with human beings and the created order. So, saying without, without passions, uh, we see God in Scripture expressing being angry. Um, so I, I chewed on this one for a long time to really try to understand what the confession was saying. And it's essentially that he doesn't have passions as we have and that he's not impacted or changed by emotions. So if you think of a few of the other attributes of God, if he's immutable, uh, he doesn't change, and there can't be a situation that occurs that uh, would cause him to react with emotions that would change who he is or conflict with any of his other attributes. And then omniscience, and actually Mr. Powers mentioned this to me, I thought it was good insight, so if you think of the fact that God is omniscient; he sees everything before it happens. Then he's never surprised. Uh, where he would react in surprise to something, something would make him angry that he he didn't see it coming. Obviously, he sees everything before it comes. So, so he's without body, without parts, without passions. And then the last section. Who only hath immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto. So immortality obviously meaning he's everlasting. He has no beginning or end. He's the only true immortal uh, being. And that he dwells in inapproachable light. Uh, I believe this Subpoint was from the commentary as well. His glory, his holiness, his essence is so pure and so powerful that no one can approach it. So when we think of God uh, as being so glorious, so holy, so pure that we cannot approach him. He's in unapproachable light. And then this uh, this comes from the Actually, almost directly from Scripture, if you look at 1 Timothy 6.16 there. uh, Who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to to whom be honor and everlasting power. All right. So that's a quick run through that. Uh, We'll read chapter 2, paragraph 1. Again, this covering what we covered last week and this week. The Lord our God is but one only living and true God, whose subsistence is in and of himself, infinite in being and perfection, whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions, who only hath immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto. And I have this quote on, you're probably familiar with this, from Behold Your God as well, the A.W. Tozer quote, and I think it summarizes the importance of this this chapter of the confession and this study in our own lives. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So any questions, comments, thoughts as we tried to take that... uh Right, so th- that's a good question. So they, um, if you think about it, he alone is immortal in the fact that obviously we, uh, he gives eternal life to, uh, to his children, but uh, we didn't exist from the beginning of time. So we have a body that is mortal that will die, we have souls that will never die but so it, it, your question is that incommutable or so it's it's an attribute that's shared but not not fully shared so good question anyone else?
1: Believers, um, sometimes we can get sucked into, I know for myself, speaking from personal experience, when uh, we think that we can change our position in God by how we have react to things. Like I had a good day today, so God is pleased with me. Uh, I didn't have a good day today, and that in general, and how use all sin equally, uh, while there may be levels of sin, it's still sin by definition, but we just have to be careful that um, we don't get, uh, we don't get stuck in that kind of that um, that rat race Or just Think about the little well, hamster in the wheel, you know, you're thinking you're, you're changing or going somewhere, but you're not changing your position in Christ. way about you as believers and we can't lose our salvation we have the, um, the perseverance of the saints Right. And what whom the father has given to the son you will not lose one right. and so um, and the enemy was a deceiver from the beginning and I think that's one of the exceptions that he uses that you make ourselves God by thinking we can change our position in the father and that is not something that we're
0: Right, right. So without passions, that he doesn't you know, decide today he likes us and tomorrow he doesn't by the way we're acting because it's the blood of his son that saves us, and that's the only way we're saved. It's never going to have anything to do with how we acted today or tomorrow. Obviously, we, we, uh, you know, that's the fruit of it, the fruit of our salvation, but he doesn't change his view towards us and whether he's holding on to us anymore based on good days and bad days, which I'm very grateful for. So interesting, too, when it talks about God without uh, without body, how Scripture uses, uh, uh, describes God often, you know, his arm, his hand. You know, it uses word pictures like that to help us understand um, And the, uh, I believe I had one comment here that I didn't cover about that. Or maybe I left it out, but basically how God, even though he has none of those, uh, parts, so that we can better understand God, uh, So here, yeah, Grudem had a comment. If God is going to teach us about things that we do not know by direct experience, such as his attributes, he has to teach us in terms that we do know. In one sense or another, all of creation reveals something about God to us. And the higher creation, especially man who is made in God's image, reveals him more fully. All right, we should probably transition to to prayer